He washed it white as snow. Man, absolutely true. You know, the beauty of having um, your husband preach and your son play music is that you get to hear your favorite worship songs. <laughs> you know, and you know, you have to be there for the conversation. He's like, why don't you play whatever? And he's like, I don't know. Yeah, and I said, it's your mom. Got to do it for your mom, yeah. You know, the other thing that's just so wonderful here, um, you know, Jesus, uh, when his disciples uh, were admonishing parents with little kids that were, they thought were bugging Jesus, he said, let the little children come to me, you know. And the beauty of our congregation is we have little children that come and they make noise and they remind us of the miracle of life and the miracle of the church of Jesus Christ, which is a living, breathing creature and which depends upon young mouths, young legs, young hands in order to continue to be vibrant. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. Today is an exciting day for the congregation. We are going to vote at the congregational meeting on accepting Dirk Jaspers as our new pastor, making a call to him. It's very exciting. They intend to move, Dirk and Katie intend to move to Hot Springs the first week of March. So this would be a quick transition, a quick transition, yeah. So I thought that in preparation for this important day and time in the life of the congregation, I would spend the next several weeks reviewing our vision statement, the acronym of LIGHT, which hangs there. And there's another document on the website, it's called What We Believe, and it more firmly fleshes out some of the things we're going to talk about, and this is also on the website. Um, But... What I wanted to do is to read to you what those mean, because it says loving one another, etc. And each one of these has some biblical references. Today we're going to talk about loving one another. We'll talk about those biblical references to that. But I wanted to read the full statement of these, because as we move forward, as we consider today these issues about calling a pastor um, and the possibilities of different sort of monkey wrenches getting thrown into the whole thing, we need to remember that we're here for Jesus Christ, and we need to remember these things. So loving one another, we believe the local church should be a place where Christians truly experience the family love God has designed us to share. All believers are brothers and sisters in Christ and are called to love each other as such. I, inspired by biblical truth, we believe that the word of God is the sole and final authority for all matters of faith and living. Therefore, we teach and preach from the Bible, not human resources. G, gospel sharing. We believe every Christian is called to actively share his or her faith within the sphere of influence God gives them. This should include your family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, and whoever else God gives opportunity. It also means we joyously support mission opportunities and missionaries. H, helping hands. We believe we are called to put our faith into action. As God gives opportunity, we need to meet the needs of the hurting and needy around us. This also calls us to practical support and help of our Christian family, the local church. And true worship. We believe God has called us out in part to be worshipers of him, giving him the glory and honor only he deserves. Church worship is not about the style of music or the particular activities or mode that worship may take. It is about allowing hearts and minds to focus on God and to praise him with an overflowing heart. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, what an awesome responsibility you have given to us to, to tend to and shepherd your church, to be members of the family of Jesus Christ, to be members of each other's family, to hold out hands of fellowship, to avoid all of those put-offs that we discussed in the book of Colossians and to put on love above all else so that we might be lights to the world around us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Southern Hills Evangelical Free Church had in its original vision to be a light to the community. And it's set on a hill, you might have noticed, we're set on a hill. And this light of Jesus Christ was to illuminate hot springs through us, his church. And our command from Jesus comes from Matthew 5, 14 through 16. He tells the people that were listening to his sermon, his disciples, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, people may not know that this is a church as they drive by, but it's not hidden for sure. It's here. Okay? It cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The church, way back then, chose as its symbol a lighthouse, which is kind of odd in the middle of the prairie. (laughs) But there it is. (laughs) And the lighthouse shines and illuminates, and it keeps people from danger. It warns of obstacles. It provides a means of knowing where you're going and how to get there. And Christ's church and the lighthouse are a part of Hot Springs. Been here for 30-some years. People know this church. And our symbol of a lighthouse will also figure prominently on the mural that's going to appear down there on University. You might have seen they started painting that retaining wall down there. And one of the prominent features is going to be a lighthouse because that's our lighthouse. We are the light to the community. But really, Jesus Christ is the light. He is the true light. If we read from the Gospel of John, we learn about this concept of light. And we're going to read that first section of John, starting at verse 1, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus said at John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, back in the book of Genesis, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
So as we have chosen light as our vision statement, what an awesome responsibility that is. Because the one who is the light is Jesus Christ. And we need to be as Christ to those around us. And as followers of Jesus Christ, saved and made righteous by his blood, as we sang about this morning, given the hope of glory through his resurrection, we are children of the light. We are children of the day. Jesus called us sons of light in Luke 16.8. Through Paul, Jesus tells us in Ephesians 5, 8, and 9 that, For at one time, you were in darkness. We all were in darkness at one time. We were all slaves to sin, slaves to the world. So for at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Not you're in light. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And if we are light, as we claim to be, we do things that are good and right and true. What an awesome responsibility for a church. By associating ourselves with the light of life and the symbol of a lighthouse, we have committed ourselves to walk as children of light in this community, to bear fruit with all that is good and that is right and that is true, to show love to each other in here and in this fellowship, yes, but to do the same in this dark world in which we live. Paul, uh, Greg's call to worship, perfect for that, because that's what's going on in this world. And let us not just think of the lighthouse and this acronym as a symbol, oh, we're the church on the hill, oh, we're the lighthouse, whatever else, a clever representation of what a church should be. Let's take this as a church very seriously, as Christ would have us do. Well, today we're going to talk about the first letter in our acrostic, L. And L stands for loving one another. And it says, we believe the local church should be a place where Christians truly experience the family love God has designed us to share. All believers are brothers and sisters in Christ and are called to love each other as such. Now, during our discussion of Colossians over the last few months, we talked quite a bit about the aspect of loving each other and Christ-like behavior towards those who are in the church. Colossians 3.14 said, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And as we discussed, it is only through the saving work of Jesus Christ and the gift of God's Holy Spirit that we are able to love, truly love. We are not here speaking of an emotional feeling or the shallow love that our culture would have us believe is the real thing. We're talking about Christ-like, biblical love. So let's read aloud the scriptural references that are included in our acronym for loving one another. John 13, 34 through 35 says, this is Jesus talking now in his last instructional session with the apostles in the upper room, right before he's to go to the garden and ultimately to his death. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are disciples if you have love for one another. 1 John 4, chapter, I mean, verse 7 provides, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And finally, the third verse in our acrostic, 1 Peter 1.22, well, it's actually two verses, and 4.8 provides, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, 
Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Boy, isn't that true? When we love someone, we're willing to forgive. We're willing to overlook. And when we let that resentment creep in, it's a lot harder to do that, isn't it? So we're told love covers a multitude of sins. And so we're to love one another in this congregation. And being a loving church has been one of the things we have offered up to the Lord in worship for years in this church. Remember Eli told us the story of being in the grocery store. When someone, they asked him, where are you preaching? And he told him, he says, oh, that's the church that loves. You know, we all thought, that's good, that's us, you know, we love, you know. (laughs) And it makes you feel good. And, you know, God gives us those moments where we can enjoy and feel joy in actually serving him and doing the things that he wants us to do. The main reason we began going to this church 13 or 14 years ago was this feeling of incredible fellowship that we felt. When we came in here, it was just the kind of place that was inviting. It was a place you wanted to be at. The congregants were friendly, inviting, had a loving presentation, made us want want to keep coming back. And I dare say that most of the people here today have that same opinion. And if you're new here today, you will get that same opinion, especially if you come to the potluck. But look around you, okay? Before the service began, you heard the buzz of fellowship and friendship. Where brothers and sisters in Christ were busy catching up, sharing their lives, talking about things that are going on with them. It is heartwarming. It is what Christ wants us to be as a church. But this inviting aspect of love, this hospitality and care, is only one aspect of the love which Jesus talks about. And we're going to take a few minutes today to consider love, what it is, where it comes from, how we get it, and what it looks like in its biblical form. Chapter 1 of Genesis is the foundational chapter of the Bible. We've talked about that before. And it's the foundational chapter of life since it summarizes the creation of the world and all of the things that are in it. Genesis 1.1 is the foundational verse of the foundational chapter. Speaking of the primeval creation of the universe itself, it is the foundation of all foundations. And it is the most, therefore, most important verse in the Bible. Because in the beginning, God. It undoubtedly contains the first words ever written. And since it's the opening statement of the world's most often printed book, these are surely the most widely read words ever written. And if a person really believes Genesis 1.1, he or she will not find it difficult to believe anything else recorded in the Bible. If God really created all things, then he controls all things. He can do all things. And further, this one verse refutes all of man's false philosophies concerning the origin and meaning of the world. That includes atheism, pantheism, polytheism, materialism, dualism, humanism, evolutionism. All of these false philosophies are merely different ways of expressing the same unbelief, that there is no personal, transcendent God who created us all. All of those are in opposition to the great truth, which is marvelously simple and understandable to a child. child gets it easily. God created everything. Whoa, whoa. Kid's like, yeah. And we're like, yeah, well, wait a minute. What about, you know? Getting God created the heavens and the earth. But what about before the beginning? 
Because just because Genesis says in the beginning, that doesn't mean there was nothing before that. In John 17, 24, Jesus prays to God, his Father, and he says, you loved me before the foundation of the world. In John 17, 5, Jesus asks the Father to glorify him, Jesus himself, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. There is, therefore, something that reaches back into eternity before the phrase in the beginning. Christ existed before that, and he had glory with the Father, and he was loved by the Father before in the beginning. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will before. 1 Peter 1, 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Titus 1.2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. How can a promise be made before the world began? To whom could it be made? The scripture speaks of a promise made by the Father to the Son or to the Holy Spirit because at that time there was nobody else to make the promise to. History, or should I say his story, therefore clearly begins before Genesis 1.1, and that's critically important in light of the evolutionary viewpoints that exist today. What is involved is the reality of a personal God in all of eternity, in contrast to this philosophical other or impersonal everything, which is frequently the concept of God. Well, there's a God, so I don't know who he is. Well, we know who he is. Something existed before creation, and that something was personal. It was not static. It was not a group of molecules or a primordial soup because there was a plan. God talks about that plan. Jesus talks about that plan. There was communication between a father and a son and a Holy Spirit. Promises were made prior to the creation of the heavens and the earth. And this whole conception is based upon the reality of the Trinity because without the Trinity, Christianity would not have the answers that we need. And our Judeo-Christian, and in fact our whole Western culture, has been built on the assumption of a personal beginning in the high order of this trinity. And that is before, in the beginning, the personal, the relationship between God the Father and His Son and the Holy Spirit was already there. Love and thought and communication existed prior to the creation of the heavens and the earth. Love and communication are intrinsic to what has always been. And so when modern man asks, what is the meaning? Where does love come from? Why do we communicate? How do we communicate? We have the answer. Because God and the Son had this relationship, had this communication, had this love before the beginning of time. And so in the beginning is a technical term stating the fact that at that particular point, there was a creation out of nothing. God created the heavens and earth out of nothing. All that is, except for God himself, who already has been, has always been, now comes into existence in Genesis 1.1. And before this, though, there was a personal existence. There was love and communication before this. Prior to the material universe, prior to the creation of everything we see around us, there is love and there is communication. 
And that means that those are intrinsic to us. Because when modern man looks for love and communication, Christians have an answer. There is a value to love and communication because it is rooted in what has always been. And we, being made in the image of God, have the ability to love and to communicate. And that's the only reason we have the ability to love and communicate is because we're made in the image of God who is love and who is communication. But what actually is love then? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.2 that we should walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ's love was a fragrant offering, a pleasing aroma to God. The fragrant offering or pleasing aroma that Paul refers to is an allusion to Genesis 8.21. After Noah built his altar after the flood, made his burnt offering. It says, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down again every living creature as I have done. This pleasing aroma is a sign of acceptable worship to God. Revelation speaks of the prayers of the saints being incense, which is a pleasing aroma. Our love is a pleasing aroma to God. It is our acceptable act of worship. It's not just singing songs. Our love is worship to God, and God smells this pleasing aroma, and he is pleased with us when we do that. Love is a gift from God. It does not occur naturally in sinful man. Oh, man will do things for other people, but for their own purposes. To get along, to get something, to not make waves, whatever. But love does not occur naturally in sinful man. And as we discussed in Colossians, it is a fruit that grows among the people in the church. God plants it in us. Because we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved. God's love empowers God's people to become loving. The prophet Ezekiel told us, chapter 36, verses 25 through 29, God speaking, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people. I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. As Greg talked about in the call to worship today as well, dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness. He will give you the desires of your heart. But for us to love, God needed to give us a new heart and to give us his spirit. Jeremiah 31 says about this new heart, Behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. 
And Paul in the New Testament confirms this in Romans 5.5 when he says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It is only through the work of the Holy Spirit that we can love as Jesus commanded, that we can love one another as it says there. We talked in Colossians as well about the covenantal love, which is described in the Bible. And a covenantal love is a commitment. It's an act of love. It's to be with the person, to be for the person, to provide for the person, to pursue Christ-likeness together. That's the description of love in the church. We call this agape love. We've had a number of sermons on agape love. It is not a feeling. It is a motivation for action. An action that we're free to either choose or reject. It's a sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. It's being willing to subordinate your own thoughts and opinions to those of another in order to have the fellowship and the love that Christ wants to see within his church. We are called to this agape love through Christ's example. So from Ephesians, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we're called first, though, to love God. Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Then he goes on to talk about Moses goes on to talk about these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So our love for God is partially reflected in our obeying his commands, the things that he tells us that we are to do to be in his presence. And and the love is partially reflected in our offering of praise and worship and thanksgiving to him, as Paul tells us. Our love for others is reflected in our sacrificial service and action for others, following the example of Christ. And to the two scriptures, two of the scriptures I read, John 13, 34 and 35, and 1 John 4, 7, defines love in the light of what God and Jesus Christ have done for us. That's what love is. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. That's the reason we know how to love. Verse 10 of that same chapter says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then Jesus commands us in John 13 to love each other as he loved us. In his final lessons to the disciples, the apostles, in the parable of the vine, he says in John 15.12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Because the Old Testament command was love your neighbor as yourself. And now Jesus is saying love your neighbor as I've loved you, which is a much higher standard. And what does this love look like? Well, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 13 says, What? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. (coughs) Pardon me. COVID. It is not irritable or resentful. I already had it. I already had it. It's not irritable or resentful. It It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. 
It rejoices with the truth, not irritable or resentful. Look around. Is there anyone here that irritates you? That you avoid because they irritate you. Is that what we're called to do with love? No, no. It does not insist on its own way. Boy, that's a good one for me. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And Paul says that all of the spiritual gifts without love are worthless. They're worthless. Likewise, all of the friendliness and hospitality in this church without love is worthless in Christ's eyes. In our study of Colossians, we saw that Paul describes five characteristics of love in chapter 3. And he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And as we look at all of these different characteristics and we see loving one another, it makes it way more expansive than just simply being a friendly place to come, having some conversation, welcoming strangers, and says, welcome, be here with us. It's much more than that. Because love pulls all of the fruits of compassion, as these are called, this compassion, kindness, meekness, humility, and the fruits of the Spirit, which is what we read about in Galatians, all those gifts. It pulls them all together. Love pulls all those things together. Love is the most important moral quality of a believer's life. A church will not enjoy a mutual fellowship through compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, or patience, nor will they forgive each other or bear with each other unless they love one another. That is why Jesus tells us that the second great commandment is to love one another. Paul says in Romans 13.10 that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Without love, all of the characteristics and virtues in Colossians turn into legalistic devices. I'm going to be compassionate today. I'm going to be kind today. I'm going to be meek today. I'm going to be humble today. But those are all just legalistic things to gain God's favor. All of those must flow from love, which is a free gift, and which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit of God, as it says in Galatians 5.22. If we go back to 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us that nothing is acceptable to God unless it's motivated by love. Philippians 1.9, he tells us that our knowledge and our discernment must be exercised with love. We can know everything about the Bible, but if we don't exercise love with it, it's worthless. Galatians 5.6, our faith must be working through love to have value. Jesus tells us in John 14.15 that obedience to his commands depends upon our love. Love is what sets us apart from the world. It, love was so unusual, even back in Jesus' day, even the, the, the Dead Sea community, the Qumran community, the Essenes, who were trying so hard to keep the law, didn't value love like Jesus valued love, and like Christians value love. It sets us apart from the world. But it's a hard love, a sacrificing love, a love that demands us giving up all for the sake of another, just as Christ gave up all for our sake. So how do we get that love? Do we try a little bit harder to be more loving? Ah, I'm going to be nice today. <laughs> now, love is a gift of God, and it's imparted by the Holy Spirit. 
Believers loving each other in a church community like this is what persuades unbelievers about the truth of the gospel. They look at us, they look at this crowd, people that would never come together under normal circumstances in the world, and they see us loving each other and contributing to each other and buying washers and dryers or, or helping people move or whatever it happens to be. They see that and they go, why do they do this? Because of love. Because that's what Jesus is. He is love. Our love for other believers also assures us that our faith is genuine. Because John says at, at 1 John 3.14 that we know, know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And when we can say that we love the brothers, that's an assurance of our faith because we would not were it not for the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so our fellowship in the church is a valuable means of grace and a powerful witness to the world around us. Acts 2.42 said the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And that's what the early Romans saw, or that's what the Romans saw in the early church. As our fellowship in the church grows, ordinary fellowship and affection for one another will grow also in Jesus' injunction that we love one another will be fulfilled. As we get to know people, as we invest in their lives, this love starts to grow, and it becomes more real to those around us. And as we discuss the H&R acrostic, Helping Hands, we'll discuss the truth from Galatians 6.2, that as believers care for one another, they've got to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is a hard thing. And we must not allow our feelings and thoughts of fellowship to include only the dull and boring ideas of fellowship which generally exists in the world. What do we see on television and the media? What's fellowship? Sitting around a warm fire on a cold day drinking a Bud Light or something. You know. <laughs> or idle chit-chat or enjoying a meal together, going fishing together. All good things. All things that build fellowship. But that's not what we're talking about here. The cultural view of fellowship leaves out the important radical nature of true biblical fellowship, which is active and full of service. Now, I've shared before my conversion where I experienced the love of Jesus Christ through the selfless acts of service by men who I'd never seen before and who knew nothing about me. That's what brought me to Christ. They got me glasses of water, they picked up my books, they cleared my plate, they explained things patiently, and they prayed for me. I did not know what they had, but I knew I wanted whatever it was. And that's how we should be with others around here. We've seen that love in this church and the outpouring of help and love to those who really need it. But we must be sure to keep in mind Jesus' story of the widow's offering from Luke 21, 1 through 4. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And that's love, sacrificial family love God has designed us to share. Not sharing out of our abundance. Saying, well, I got Tuesday nights free, so I'll wander over and do something. No. It's when you really don't want to show up on Wednesday night because that's when you normally do something, but you do for the sake of Jesus Christ and the church. It's sacrificial. It's costly. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to love each other as Christ loved us. And besides financial needs, to extend grace 
to extend compassion and love to those who might not agree with us. To do whatever is necessary to maintain the witness of Christ's church, which loves one another as Christ commanded. And friends, if you want to experience this love, this fellowship, this belonging to the household of Jesus Christ, and you have not, up to this day, done so, this is the day. Acknowledge your sins to God, confess them, repent of them, knowing that it is the saving work of Jesus Christ in dying for our sins, being buried, being raised from the dead, which makes him Lord of our lives and the Lord of every other believer's life. Acknowledge him as the Lord of your life. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and be saved. And take part in this fellowship of love. Well, there's much more to be said about love. We'll cover that when we discuss the H&R acrostic, helping hands. We will discuss fellowship, acts of service, forgiveness, giving, dispute resolution, loving our neighbor as ourselves, because that, after all, is what we believe in. Today we're going to celebrate communion, but we're going to pray first, and then we'll have uh, the elders come up and serve the elements. Heavenly Father, we are a church that has as its goal to love each other, to love one another. We want to do that as Christ loved us, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for us. Lord, sweep our own self, our ego, our pride out of the way and allow us to be sacrificial in our love for one another in this fellowship, Lord. We, we pray also that as we vote today on our calling of a new pastor, that we would have love and graciousness there as well. God, and that you would equip us to be the church that loves, the church that extends love to a new pastor and his wife, into a new community far, far from where they come from, without any family, immediate family around, Lord, let us be their family. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So we have some elders come forward to serve.